If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We won't be in Luke very long. It's going to be very quick, but I would like you to have this as a text to remember, especially as I teach over these next three talks. It's going to be spread out over about six weeks, depending on when I can squeeze it in. But Luke chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. There's going to be a number of passages we will look at. Some we will sit on for a tad bit. Others I'll just mention quickly. Luke 6, verses 39 and 40. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Leadership, especially spiritual leadership, matters. It matters because those we choose to follow in our pursuit of knowing God, will inevitably shape who we are. It will shape what we believe. And given enough time, it will shape how we behave and even who we become, Jesus says. As Jesus states in this mini parable, the people we choose to follow in leadership, especially spiritual leadership, and at this point I'm thinking about those in the local church, those that you would be discipled by, are all leading us towards something. They are discipling us to become something. But without knowing it, they could be, if we're not careful, leading us down a path of self-deception, which leads us into a proverbial pit, Jesus said, where the spiritually blind are leading the blind and therefore further away from the truth. Well, what truth? What are we talking about when I say truth? I'm speaking about the truth of God, the truth of the Word of God, the only truth that can save our souls. You see, the Apostle Paul, when he was discipling a young man that would one day take on the reins, of pastoral ministry, or a ministry like it, he warned Timothy about times of difficulty in the last days. Notice what he says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 13, when he warns this young disciple about the nature of deception, even among those inside the church. He says to Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, Paul is warning Timothy of those who listen to deceived leaders can themselves become deceived and then in turn lead others in deception as well. That's how deception works. It's like a ripple effect. You just light the thing on fire and it burns up everything it touches and potentially a deception that could affect generations to come in families, in churches, entire communities. And beloved, as I prayed this morning for Australia, entire countries. And apart from God intervening in those deceptions and giving us shepherds after God's own heart, Jeremiah 3.15, we instead follow the whims and opinions of fallen men. Apart from God, intersecting and detouring our deception and giving us pastors that feed us with knowledge and understanding, milk and meat in his word, rightly handling the word of truth. We're just left with fallen men, with fallible wisdom. The folly of doing what's right in our own eyes and not fearing the Lord our God. 
many of us, if we have grown up in that type of deception, have become half-baked cakes. We eat from a poor diet in God's word. Instead, what we also desperately need are leaders to instruct us in the whole counsel of God. As Paul said in Acts 20, verse 27. You see, apart from God's sovereign redirecting, we could all be left following the wrong leaders who can lead us towards perpetual spiritual immaturity. In other words, we could stay babies in the faith for decades and not even know it. We only drink milk from the bottle, but we never actually grow up. We never mature to the point we can eat, digest, and enjoy rich and tasty meat in God's word. Instead of growing up into mature men and women of God who make disciples who make disciples who look like Jesus, we sadly stay in our diapers year after year. We fit the description of what Paul says in Ephesians 4.14. We are children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And then for others, following the long leaders can lead some down a broad path that ends with a much worse outcome, eternal destruction, to the eternal lake of fire, where the deceiver, the father of lies, Satan and the devil and his demonic angels are doomed for judgment without mercy forever. That's why Jesus warned so sternly about the dangers of following the wrong teachers. False teachers and their false teaching. Consider what our Lord said in Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware, that means watch out, of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Matthew 23, verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You might imagine that statements like that didn't make Jesus popular. He wasn't received well. But even Christ's own disciples were floored by some of Jesus' words. Christ's own disciples, as they're hearing Jesus speak like this, have their jaws drop. They're amazed that Jesus would say such stern things about false teachers and false teaching. I would encourage each one of us to read Matthew 23 this week. It's a long chapter. But in Matthew 23, Jesus calls out the Pharisees, spiritually dead hypocrites, blind guides, walking corpse, a brood of vipers. Let me give you the Blake Living translation. Jesus basically walks into an average Baptist church full of pastors and deacons at their typical Baptist church monthly meeting, and he calls them unapologetically, without any permission, you are all unregenerate lying snakes, wolves that starve my sheep, thieves that break into Christ's pasture and care nothing for the sheep, but only for yourself. They care for their own reputation over Christ's reputation. They care way more about the appearances before men more than what their hearts are like before God. They care more about upholding the traditions of men more than obeying the unadulterated word of God. Jesus basically busts the door down, looks them dead in the eye, and says with unflinching hesitation, without any hesitation, You are church leaders who do not know the God you speak about. That's not me. That's the Christ we've been worshiping today. He said that. 
Now, of course, anyone hearing this would have said, okay, Jesus, that's not politically correct. It's not the Christian thing to say. I mean, we want to have unity in our community, Jesus. You're not going to have a following all that big if you say things like that. That's pretty heavy. Jesus, don't you realize that's unloving? Don't you, don't you realize you're offensive? Well, the disciples of Jesus were on to something. But notice again what Jesus said right back to his own disciples. Matthew 15, verses 12 to 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Beloved, leadership matters because it matters to Jesus. And if it matters to Jesus, then it matters to the very heart of God. You see, leadership and authority are one of the clearest ways how God made us in his image as we reflect what he's like on the earth. In Genesis chapter 1, mankind was created and called to exercise dominion over the earth. They were to subdue it, bring chaos or those things that are out of place into order. Man was called to be fruitful and multiply God's image over all the earth. Mankind was entrusted with the task to rule over God's earth, under God's authority in the way that brings God glory. You see, throughout Scripture, leadership is spoken about in various levels, or some might be more familiar with spheres of sovereignty. So think for a moment about government or even civil leadership. Think of the Old Testament covenant mediators like Moses, who would stand before the people and God, or his warrior-like commander, successor, Joshua who would lead the next generation of Israelites into the promised land. Both Moses and Joshua were given the charge from God to uphold God's law and appoint judges and heads of tribes to carry out justice and mercy in Israel. You can read more about that in Exodus 18, Numbers 11, Deuteronomy 1, and Deuteronomy 34. And of course, you can read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles that speaks about the kings over Israel and Judah. There is obvious leadership in place amongst God's people under God. In the New Testament, there are governments ordained of God that may or may not be led by Christians, but they exist for the overall welfare of people made in God's image. There are, of course, good governments and there are bad governments but they are still governments in the eyes of God. Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2. Well, then there's also leadership in the workplace. Think of employers and employees. There's leadership in the home. Parents having leadership over their children. Husbands exercising leadership over their wives. Read Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. And then it shouldn't surprise us if there's leadership under God in every other sphere of life, we shouldn't be surprised that there's also leadership in the church. But before you talk about leadership in the church, we have to acknowledge that in Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1, Jesus makes it clear through Paul that Jesus is head of the church. He is the ultimate CEO of the corporation. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is seated at the right hand of the Father until all his enemies or brought under his feet. Jesus has revealed his will on how his church is to be cared for. Let me say that again. That is a huge thesis statement that will drive these talks. Jesus has revealed his will on how his church is to be cared for, is to be ordered, is to be protected, is to be overseen, is to be shepherded. As image bearers of God and those who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, things like authority and leadership should matter to everyone in this room. If you are a member of Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church, the topic tonight is not just for a select few of men that want to be a pastor or an elder. 
It is for every person in this body because who you follow in your pursuit of Jesus Christ matters. What did Jesus say? No disciple will be above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Who you pay, who you listen to is shaping who you are. And if you're not careful, it could lead you to a pit, Jesus said. So we need to be men and women of discernment. So the big million-dollar question, beloved, is who has Jesus left in charge to shepherd his church? Who has been entrusted with that specific task of watching over the sheep that Christ's blood was shed for? Who has been set apart by the Spirit of the living God to lead God's flock in such a way that promotes peace, that promotes order in the lives of his people? Well, to answer that question, I want to open our Bibles now to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you're looking in the chair Bibles provided, it's on page 590. As you're turning there, let me just give a few remarks. Uh, tonight will be the beginning of three talks I'm giving on the topic of elders. My hope is that these three teachings will further equip our church to have a biblical understanding of elders, whether you're knowledgeable of it or it's new to you. And I'm hoping by the end of these three talks, our church will be ready to recognize, affirm, and install its first elders since calling me as your lead pastor back in September of last year. And if God permits, I hope to see that happen sometime later this year. So one of the prayers I'm going to be trickling into all our services is that God would raise up and we would install biblically qualified men to serve as elders. Now, just as a review, tonight we're answering the question, what does an elder do? So we're looking at function. What does it mean to be a faithful elder in Christ's church and how a congregation can kind of know what makes an elder and what would qualify him to do that? Talk number two, coming in March 7th, what is who is qualified to serve as an elder? So we're going to look at character. We're going to look at 1 Timothy 3 very closely. What is the man like in his home, in the workplace, in the community? Uh, also, I intend on showing you practically how a man's going to be evaluated and examined in the whole nominating process. So I'm literally going to hand you the questions that man's going to have to answer before the existing elder board and that he needs to be honest and open if someone asks him in this church. So you'll get to see all that. There are no secrets, and that will help you better understand of what is going on. And then talk three is a little more nuts and bolts. Uh, communication. How does a congregation and its elders relate to one another? Uh, so as we just learned in our marriage refresh conference, how important is communication? Utterly important. So if elders, if mom and dad aren't communicating, well, there's going to be disarray in the church. And so one of the things I'm going to talk about is how we're going to work through decision-making. How do you voice a legitimate concern in Christ's church to one of your elders? In a way that is, again, not divisive, but is sincere. It's legitimate. It's a, it's a concern to help the elders pastor well. Now, I want to let you know that one's going to be on April 4th. Uh, that is Easter Sunday. So just so you're aware, I'm not sure what customs are here in Fort Smith, but I do intend on having an evening service on Easter Sunday, and we'll partake the Lord's Supper together. So if you have family in town visiting, eat your potluck meal after the morning service and invite them to come back to the church. Because guess what? There's no better place to invite people on Easter Sunday than to be with God's people. And, and just so you know, I think you've probably heard me beat this drum loud enough. There's really nothing that special about Easter Sunday. The Reformation happened. That means every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday, we're preaching about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't want to, like, squash all your plans. And you can still eat your mac and cheese and go look for eggs. That's cool. That's fine. But I don't want you to over-spiritualize that Easter is like the Super Bowl Sunday of Christians. It's just not biblical. That's more Catholic than it is biblical. That's just a fact. Anyway, I'm not going to get on that bandwagon now. I'm going to teach for about 35 minutes. I've already counted my time, so it's already begun. Don't worry. And then after I'm done, uh, there will be a time for Q&A for anyone 
who has a question for me on this topic. So my basic word of encouragement, if you think of a question, ask. If you don't ask right now, you can email me. If you don't want to email me, stop me in the hallway. If you think of something, ask something. Capiche? Capiche? We're working on communication. Great. So back to 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter is writing to a scattered body of persecuted Christians, and he ends his first epistle with an exhortation, an encouragement, a charge to the men that Jesus has left in charge of shepherding his flock. These men are called elders. Look with me, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here in 1 Peter 5, Peter alludes to the imagery, it's very obvious, to a shepherd. Now, you don't have to be a professional, you know, sheep herder to understand the idea here. A shepherd is one who tends to the overall welfare of a flock of sheep. He feeds them. He leads them. He protects them. And according to John chapter 10, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep by name. He They hear his voice, and they follow him. Now, you might ask, why does Peter bring up this idea of a shepherd? I mean, is he just trying to get funny and cutesy in this letter? Well, no. Peter obviously would have grabbed this imagery when Jesus looked at Peter after he rose from the dead. And Peter, out of fear of man, denied Christ. But because Jesus had a good plan for Peter's life, He redeemed even his failures for good. Do you remember those sobering words at the end of John's gospel, John 21, where Jesus doesn't let Peter off the hook and he he asks him a question three times? He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times he asks him this. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter is getting kind of discouraged by the reality of, Jesus, you know, you know, you know. And this is what Jesus says right back to him. If you love me, then feed my lambs. Peter, if you love me, tend my sheep. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. So when Peter is writing to elders among these persecuted Christians and tells them to shepherd God's flock, he's really just regurgitating what Jesus told Peter on that day. That's why 1 Peter 5 is really the basic heartbeat of what pastoral ministry is all about, shepherding Christ's flock. These men are to shepherd God's flock with eagerness and zeal, but also with integrity and humility. Now, Peter reminds these elders among the scattered believers who have been persecuted That their shepherding is not some kind of add-on to their life, some badge that they wear, some little activity they mindlessly just go through the motions of or half-heartedly do. No, Peter gives these elders and every elder that should ever serve in Christ's church an eternal hope by reminding them of an award, of a prize that awaits all the faithful shepherds those who cared for his children well. 1 Peter 5, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Brothers and sisters, pastors, according to the New Testament, should not be viewed 
like CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Pastors should not be put on a pedestal as one of heaven's celebrities to be idolized on earth. And pastors are not to be thought of as superhero Christians. They don't sin. They're extraterrestrial. Did I even say E.T.? You get it. They're from another planet. They're, you know, they don't even put their pants on the same way. They press a button and it just happens. They, they tap into their spiritual superhero powers and they do all these amazing things that you just don't see behind closed doors. No, ask my wife. I'm not impressive. I'm really lame. Sorry, Jeff. Fan's good. I'm just a normal dude that lives in the same world that you do. Pastors are none of those things. Pastors are godly men saved by the grace of God that God sets apart to care for his church. These men are spoken about all over the New Testament. There are certain qualifications to be an elder, certain responsibilities, where we're talking about tonight, that are in there for a reason. The qualifications of an elder are there for a reason. The function of an elder is there for a reason. It's to help Christ's church be built up. To see Christ's church preserve their unity. To see Christ's church rightly ordered for the glory of God. A healthy local church will be led by biblically qualified men called elders. Let me say that again. I know it sounds simple. I know it sounds redundant. But I'm going to say it again. A healthy local church will be led by biblically qualified men called elders. Now, if you're taking notes, this is going to be the simplest points I've given in a long time. So breathe in, breathe out. Number one, what does an elder do? He leads and protects. He leads and protects. Point number two, he teaches and corrects. He teaches and corrects. Number one, he leads and protects. To be a shepherd or a pastor, those words are basically the same thing, is to be a servant leader among God's people. These men, if they aspire to this office, are aspiring to a position of spiritual leadership under the authority of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. The office of leadership carries with it in the church a dense gravity because the members of that flock are extending great trust, their money, their soul, their life, to the care of pastors. That's why in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, believers who are under the pastoral oversight of elders, that's why you should be a member of a local church, they are to humbly submit to their elders. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account to Christ one day. Let them do this with joy and not of groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, beloved, if this is the weightiness of the office, this is Christ's church, this is Christ's sheep, heaven and hell is before us, leadership matters. What exactly are elders supposed to do? What does it even mean to lead and protect God's people? Let me expose a few misconceptions. I think this is very healthy for a church that's made up three-fourths of a church that's never had a plurality of elders. Myth number one, an elder is the CEO of the church. He barks off orders. He gets what he wants because this is basically his church. Biblical fact, an elder is a servant leader who patiently guides Christ's sheep under his care, using the word of God faithfully, and sets the believers a godly example to imitate. That means this, an elder, first of all, or a man aspiring to it, should see his role or his office as very, very important but he should view himself as replaceable. Let me say that again. Oh, I wish I was preaching to pastors right now. If you know someone that needs to hear it, send it to them. An elder, first of all, should see his role, his office as super important. The gravity should make him tremble, but he should see himself as replaceable. 
as replaceable as a mop in the janitor's closet. You see, the role of an elder or a pastor at the end of the day is really just a steward. We're just managers, one who temporarily manages what ultimately belongs to King Jesus and not to him. This, CCBC, is not Blake Boylston's church. Yes, I am an elder in CCBC, but this is Christ's church. Because one day the Lord's going to say, you're done, young man. And he's going to raise up someone else to shepherd this flock. Unless he comes home and takes us all together. And that would be kind of nice too. Turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. I want you to look at again this idea of a steward, a manager, not a CEO. Not someone who just dictates to people. Titus chapter 1. Look with me in verses 5 to 9. We'll look more closely at this next time. But I do just want you to think about these terms again. Titus 1 verses 5 to 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's, say it together, steward. It's a great word to circle there. don't know if you've ever noticed that. God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Uh, Paul makes it clear to Titus that a pastor, an elder, or an overseer, those words are all referring to the same office, is first and foremost God's steward. God's manager. In other words, this man who serves in this office should not see himself as the creative trendsetter that reinvents the wheel for what church should be like. He's not to be a man that looks to Wall Street, Walmart, or even the churches in his community to see what they're doing to attract more visitors to their gatherings. No, this is a man who has a firm conviction that God's church should be governed God's way with the means that God has ordained. The word of God, sacrificial love, and prayer. That's how Christ will build his church, through the word of God, through sacrificial love, and prayer. That also means rightly administering baptism in the Lord's Supper, carefully overseeing the front door of church membership and the back door of church discipline, uh, this is a man who has a firm conviction that when he speaks to the members of Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church, he is speaking to Christ's sheep. He believes it to the very core of his being. And it shows. He studies the Bible for himself and he studies the Bible to feed Christ's sheep. He patiently leads Christ's sheep and he is bold to protect Christ's sheep. Beloved, that means any man of any church that calls themselves gospel preaching in a Christian church who wears the name of pastor, elder, or overseer must deeply care for Christ's church. This is not a job for him. This is a deep love for him. This isn't some board of directors who just simply make fiduciary decisions and rubber stamp budget items. This isn't a good old boy network that treats God's church like some posh country club. No, an elder must see himself as a manager in God's church who loves, who leads, and who cares for Christ's sheep. And beloved, if that's not the man's heart, if that is not evident in any way in his life, he should not become an elder, period. He shouldn't. His heart's in a different place. It's in a bad place if he's aspiring to this office for a different reason. He should care for Christ's church. Myth number two, there's only two myths I'm giving tonight. An elder is a perfect Christian. No one said amen? Okay. 
Elder, I'm just kidding. Elder is a perfect Christian who never sins and always has it all together. Biblical fact. An elder is a forgiven sinner who still sins, but models what repentance, faith, and obedience looks like for the church he pastors. Brothers and sisters, an elder is not your savior. Last time I checked, there is no vacancy in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have everything in total control. They are saving sinners. They are building up Christ's church and putting the devil to open shame. I say all that tonight for this. Some of you, because of the church culture you grew up in, knowingly or unknowingly, made your pastor into a celebrity. You may have never said it, but your actions at times showed it. He was never challenged. He was never held accountable. He never modeled confession of sin. He never modeled personal weaknesses. And one of the most unnerving things for me as a pastor is when I hear someone tell me they have never been in a church where a pastor asks for prayer, where a pastor never confesses sin or personal weakness. That scares the daylights out of me. Because if it's not being modeled up front, it sure is not being modeled down in the pew. So beloved, stay away from a church If it's elders or it's deacons or whatever they call their leadership acts as if they have this invisible wall towards sin, stay away. Friends, let me also say this. An elder does sin, but an elder isn't known and characterized by his sin. That's why in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, he must be above reproach. He must have a pattern or a reputation of being someone who doesn't live a double life. He isn't intentionally hiding skeletons in the closet, pretending to be someone in public that he's not in private. No, an elder is someone who models for the sheep what following the good shepherd looks like. Does an elder do that perfectly? Goodness, no. (laughs) Uh, Just watch me. (laughs) No, but is it evident? And clearly seen from the church that he loves Jesus and he helps others do the same. Well, well, if it is, well, that's what marks an elder. He's helping others follow Jesus. A man who is qualified to be an elder, he's got to have a tender heart towards the sheep entrusted to his care. Every sheep is at a different place in their life. And I hope that's become evident in what I've said so far. This is Christ's church. These are Christ's sheep. An elder should love them like it. And yet, an elder, a man who is qualified to be an elder, must also have very tough skin. You see, an elder is also called by God to protect Christ's sheep, which means sometimes, beloved, an elder is running after stubborn sheep who are stuck in their sin. Stubborn sheep that are stuck in their sin. And guess what? Sometimes sheep bite, (laughs) and they bite really hard. And beloved, I want to let you know, I know it's new to have a pastor who cares about membership, who even talks about these things that have been in your Bible, well, way before I ever existed. But I want to let you know, I am totally fine with you being weirded out by me getting up in your business. You know why? Because when a pastor genuinely loves you, he's going to give you a big bear hug. And sometimes it hurts if you've never had a big bear hug. But I'll tell you this, I may not hug you perfectly. I may not hug you the right way all the time, but my heart is to love you some way like Jesus loves you. And so sometimes I may love you and it hurts and it's awkward and it's uncomfortable, but know that my heart is to care for you as Christ has even cared for me. But that protection is not just for biting sheep. It's also to protect the sheep from wolves coming in. A man trying to serve or aspiring to serve or desiring to serve as an elder must be on alert for the wolves that will bite the sheep, that will devour the sheep, that will deceive the sheep. Four very quick examples from my own life. These are all from previous churches, so don't be alarmed. This has not happened here at CCBC. Example number one, a young man shows up at my church, and he begins flirting with all the women. How do I know? 
because every week a new woman comes to me and another elder that they're weirded out by a man who's shown up that they do not know that is making them feel super uncomfortable. After the fourth woman comes to me, I said, point him out to me. I find him. I corner him. What's your name? What are you doing here? Well, he gives me dodgy answers. I ask another elder, you ever seen this guy? Oh, I've seen him. I've had my eye on him. All right, good. You deal with it. So I'm thinking, he's got it. No, it gets back into my corner again. This young man continued to basically stalk women in our church. I cornered him outside our door, and I said, what are you doing here? What is your name? And I said, I want to let you know I've had more than four women very uncomfortable around you. Don't you ever come back to this church again unless you're repentant and you are going to be escorted by a man everywhere you go. You understand me? Otherwise, be gone. Example number one. Example number two. A very unstable woman in her middle age, we all knew her as elders and we took her into membership. There was a lot of debate on whether what we should do with it because it was a very, very, very difficult and delicate situation. About a year into her membership, she began slandering multiple elders. She would literally look up the phone number of every elder in the membership directory, save it in her phone, and send out mass texts to our membership slandering whoever was in the pulpit. So I got a piece of it. John Joseph got a piece of it. You saw a few weeks ago. And this would go on for weeks. She would send out things to the church, just crazy stuff. Well, in God's providence, I said, hey, I think that other elder's got it. Yeah. As it always happens, the lot was rolled into my corner. So I was tagged to Dear Susan. And that was a very difficult six months of my life. But she was unstable. She became somewhat dangerous. And we had to delicately tell her, if you continue doing what you're doing, we will call the police. Because some of the things that she was doing was super inappropriate and weirded some of the elders and even members out. Third example, a man sexually abused or at least was accused of abusing a minor serving in the media ministry of the church. Due to the nature of the situation, I confronted the man and his, his wife, and let's just say it didn't go that well. I got the brunt of their anger and defensiveness, and having accountability with me in case it got crazy, I told them, you will immediately step down from your positions in ministry starting day one, and if you don't tell the people you're serving under, I will tell them. You will have an escort everywhere you go. If you're not capiche with that, you're off these premises. Let's just say it didn't go well. But you will do everything you can to protect Christ's sheep and their children. And then number four. I've had about 18 couples I've done premarital counseling for. 17 of them have made it to the wedding day. One of them didn't. I was given a couple, and the man, who was a member of our church, I had not seen in nine months. It's a big church. It's easy to slip through the cracks. He shows up, and I catch him in a lie. He and his fiance were cohabitating for nine months. Two members of our church living in sin for nine months. No one knew about it. They weren't at church. He begins to lie to me and another elder, and eventually... It becomes so disgusting of the things that they were doing in secret and in the dark as members of our congregation that I not only said, you should not get married anytime this year, but if you don't repent, sir, you'll be under church discipline soon. So another elder got involved, and he lied to that elder, and then I met with the young lady. I said, sister, I'm going to speak to you not just as a pastor, but as a father of a daughter. If you were my daughter... I would plead for you not to marry this man. He's deceitful, he's a hypocrite, and I don't even know if he's a Christian. Stay away. I plead with you to take my advice. Go seek other counsel if you want, but you are heading down a disaster and you need to heed this counsel. He's at the very least spiritually immature. He's done a terrible job leading you. Do you want the first few years of your marriage to look even more like this? Long story short is they weren't married by me. I told them I disagreed with what they were doing, but they ended up getting married by someone else, somewhere else, and I pray that God preserves them for the years to come. But I will do whatever I can, and every elder should do whatever they can to protect Christ's sheep. 
Now, again, elders don't have to be physical bodybuilders. I don't anticipate any kind of gym having to be set up so every aspiring elder has to be huge. No, just demonstrate sacrificial love and care. You are called to protect Christ's sheep. So elders are constantly having to shepherd in the gray areas of life. It's not always black and white. Sometimes it is absolutely messy. Elders will be slandered, lied about, lied to, and have all sorts of unkind things said about them. They'll be bit by sheep, and they'll be attacked by wolves. And that's just the nature of the office. But sometimes the charges made against the elder are true. He's been sinful. He hasn't been shepherding well, and some of the complaints are legitimate. And that elder might need to confess and repent. But there will be many times that the charges will be false against that elder. Read 1 Timothy 5, verses 19 and 20 to learn more about that. One older pastor in Texas, he's about 61, uh, was reminding me and a group of young pastors, he said, young men, when you sign up for leadership, you are signing up to be misunderstood. That's a good word. So if a man isn't willing to receive the hardship And the biting that's going to come with being an elder, he shouldn't aspire to that office. You've got to have tough skin. Elders shepherd in the muck and mire of people's lives. If you want to have a fruitful ministry, it almost always involves getting into the mess of people's lives. It's complicated. It's inconvenient. What did Paul say to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 32? Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among the flock, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This leads to our last and final point, which is super brief. What else does an elder do? He teaches and corrects. This should be the most obvious of all the points. In fact, one of the qualifications that is the distinct qualification between an elder and a deacon is not his godliness. It's not his willingness to serve, but it's ability to teach. A deacon is not required to be able to teach. You can read that in 1 Timothy 3. It's just not in one of the primary functions of a deacon. But in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, the text says that a man who serves as an elder must be able to teach. What does that mean? Well, does that mean does he have to preach like Charles Spurgeon, articulate doctrine like John Calvin, or have the knowledge of John MacArthur? Goodness, I hope not. (laughs) I'd be disqualified. No, if you recall back to Titus 1, you'll notice the parallel account. Titus says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. That means a man aspiring to an elder must have a mature level of competency when it comes to knowing the word of God. He can't be a novice. He can't be a brand new Christian. He's got to handle God's word. In other words, I would say a good exercise at CCBC, he should be very knowledgeable of what our statement of faith says. He should be able with any Christian in this church to look at the statement of faith, explain a clear understanding of what the article is teaching, and point them to the Bible. Do that exhaustively? No. Perfectly? No. An elder is still a disciple. He's a learner. He's growing just like everyone else. But he does have a handle on God's word. You want to know one of the marks of being an elder? Look for the men who people in the church constantly go to for counsel and wisdom. Look at the men. When they're asked questions about the Bible, they go to the Bible for their answers. Look for the men when they're asked how to face a trial or a temptation or a difficult relationship. They share biblical wisdom. These are the men, when you're around them and you hear them speak of God's word, it makes you want to love God's word more too. It's when you're around them, you want to become more discerning because they are discerning. They can sniff out a counterfeit gospel. They can sniff out when doctrine's being twisted. They can do what Paul says to Titus. They can give 
instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. So to conclude, what is an elder like? I'm a big word picture guy. Thomas Watson has inspired me, but I can't ever get close to it. So here's my best attempt. An elder is like a coach. He organizes the church members in the place of service to use their gifts and meet important needs in the body. An elder is like a counselor. He listens to people's troubles and guides them with the wisdom of Scripture. An elder is like a mailman. I almost said madman. Sorry. He's like a mailman. He faithfully delivers God's mail, God's word, to God's people week after week. An elder is like a foster parent. He is temporarily caring for God's children until they are safe at last in their heavenly Father's presence. And lastly, he is like a policeman. He patrols the borders of Christ's church. He serves like a gatekeeper, keeping watch over straying sheep and wolves trying to slip through the cracks. Through the word of God, sacrificial love, and prayer, an elder leads and protects. He teaches and corrects. Is it worth it to be an elder? It's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. The longer I'm an elder, I cry more for Christ's sheep. I hurt more for Christ's sheep. And the longer I'm an elder, my joy in the Lord increases when I see the joy of his people increase. It is a wonderful and noble task to shepherd Christ's flock. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a long day, a full day, and I pray that we would apply to our life what we've learned. Lord, I pray that you would gift our church with godly men who aspire to this office to help me shepherd the flock, your sheep that you've entrusted to our care. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.